It helps if you surround yourself with people going after the same goals as you. Get a coach, have a goal, have fun, celebrate what you did well that day and add something to it tomorrow to be healthier. Katie Haney is one of the most successful sales reps in the 70 plus year history of Cutco. While producing over $4.4 million in career personal sales, it's clear that Katie's priorities are her family and her health. Her work is a great means for her to live a better life. She has learned to work to live, not the other way around. Katie's story and lessons can inspire you to find the right balance in your life as well. I'm grateful to share these insights with you today from elite Cutco sales professional, Katie Haney. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. My guest is Katie Haney, an elite Cutco sales professional in the central region of the company. Her time selling Cutco goes back to the year 2000. She started in the St. Louis area, graduated from college from St. Louis University in 2004 with a degree in nutrition and dietetics, and has taken on the challenge of being a Cutco sales professional since that time. In 2009, she surpassed $200,000 in sales for the first time. In 2015, she surpassed $300,000 in sales for the first time. And last year, 2021, Katie surpassed $500,000 in sales for the first time. Having another banner year this year, she's over $4.4 million in career sales, number 26 all-time Cutco sales rep, also married with two children and has a very active lifestyle. That gives us a lot of things that we're going to talk about in this interview today. Katie Haney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. So excited to be here. Great. Well, I I hear you started this job not as a Cutco sales rep, but actually as a receptionist. Is that correct? Very true. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, you might not know this, but my brother sold Cutco. My older brother, six years older than me, Joe. And he was selling Cutco. He said, I should do it. And I said, that's crazy. I saw you cut that rope. Mom and dad didn't buy anything. I'm not doing this weird job. Well, I was working at the St. Louis Arch as a tour guide at a young age, like taking people up in the arch, you know, and it was really hot. They didn't have AC. And one summer, my brother's like, okay, I know you don't want to sell Cutco, but 
the office is air conditioned and they need a receptionist. And I was like, sold. So <laughs> I started as a receptionist and I basically, um, you know, booked people for interviews and was, you know, did the regular receptionist job. But some of the assistant managers and a CSP, you might know Jerry Azinger, they all hired me because they heard I was good on the phone and they hired me to book all their service calls for them. And they would pay me $3 for every appointment that I set. And so I started making some money there, but then the problem was they'd come back and say, oh, thanks for booking all those appointments for me. I just made $1,000. I just made $2,000. And I was like, wait, I did all the work. All you had to do was show up. So by the end of the summer, I was begging my manager to go through training. <laughs> nice. And, and was this Brian Termot? Yes. And then I would sometimes do service calls for like the Earl Seals people too. But my home office was Brian Termott in Gateway. Yeah. Wow. So by the end of the summer, you were ready to go and you wanted to start as a sales rep? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. How about uh, how about your early days as a sales rep? How'd that go? Oh, I remember my fast start. I sold 1700 So in my 10 days, I everyone bought like one piece. and But I just remember my, 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 my one point where I realized this might be something was my, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't, you know, as you say, you can't prejudge people's houses, but my friend's aunt and uncle who lived in a very not nice part of town, not nice house, they bought an ultimate set. And I was like, Oh, this could be something. So I guess my early days were pretty modest. I think I sold like 18 K my second summer, but the first summer was like six K but the turning point was that. And then just starting to like learn how to get referrals and then the big thing was I really wanted to study abroad in Madrid, but I needed, you know, to pay for it because my parents wouldn't pay for it. And so I met with my manager and learned how to set goals and all that and ended up studying abroad. So there's a lot been a lot of points along the way where I like I had a goal and then I realized Kako could help me reach it. So yeah, early days were pretty modest, but I learned and you know met great people and just kept going. Yeah. I think it's great that you had what you would call modest beginnings there, you know, six K first summer, 18K, second summer. It just says to all of our new reps, like you don't have to be some major sales star to wind up becoming a major sales star, right? Like you grew into it over those first couple summers and you had a lot of great people to be around, I'm sure. Shout out to Jerry Azinger, uh, <laughs> who was there with you. I've known Jerry since at least 1993. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> um, and I was looking at the career sales list here in pre preparation for this. You're number 26 all time. Jerry is number 27 oh, all no. time. Come on, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. Uh, nice. Nice. So anyway, what do you feel like were some of the standout lessons of your early career? Some standout lessons were, I think I remember my first company trip was like one of my first company trips was to Puerto Rico. And I just met really amazing people on that trip. And I kind of realized then it, I think in my mind, it was like, you go to college and you get a job and then you can save to travel and all this stuff. But taking that first trip in college, my first you know sales incentive trip with Cutco and meeting these people and having these amazing experiences, it was a lesson that like I can be a college student and kind of be building this business, building this career. So it was kind of... I guess the lesson there was maybe the beaten track that I was taught wasn't necessarily like the, the path that I had to choose. Another lesson was that I didn't really grow up with like a lot of 
entrepreneurs. My mom was a teacher and then a stay-at-home mom. And my dad worked at the postal United States Postal Service and had kind of like a, you know, eight-hour-a-day job, very like corporate type. And if we knew any entrepreneurs, like friends or family, I think my aunt had a business and like, it was kind of looked down upon. So it was kind of like, Mm. you know, that's not very steady. That's not very secure. So that just wasn't something that I ever thought about. So I think Cutco was a way, like kind of showed me, oh, like this entrepreneur life might be something that, you know, could work for me. Um, Another lesson was I remember early on, when I, I think I was an assistant manager, something where I wasn't like a huge top sales rep, but I wanted to get really good at, I think it was like service calls or something. And I just remember picking up the phone and calling the number one rep then, which was Brett Barry. And I was so scared to do it because he was just like the number one guy and he was giving all these talks and he was in another region. And I just remember calling him and he was so nice. And he's like, oh, here's how you do it. Here's the script, here's the system. And I was, and then I started, you know, doing well with, I think it was service calls or whatever the, um, the lesson was, but it made me realize that the top people are just like everybody else. They might just work harder, work differently, but I can't think of really anyone in Cutco that like, hasn't been open arms with their resources and like helping you. So that was a big lesson. I mentioned this earlier, but one of the big lessons was, again, I was pretty modest in sales, but I really wanted to study abroad in Madrid my sophomore year or junior, sophomore year of college. But my, you know, I had to raise my own funds for it. And I remember thinking it was going to be impossible, but then I met with my manager and he was like, okay, you just have to make $5,000 over Christmas break. And I was like, that's a lot of money. And we sat down with my schedule and we just figured out this is how many demos you have to do. This is how many calls you have to make. And I, I just did that. And I, you know, I was able to fund my entire trip abroad. And like some of my friends were kind of like counting oh, I can't afford to do this trip or I can't do this excursion. And I was able to do some extra things because of my, because of my Cutco yeah, sales and many fast start for myself. And then I guess the last thing I'll say, I'm kind of going on, but one thing I learned was to ask for referrals where you want to be selling. Anyone can afford Cutco, but there's people that can afford it a little more. And so finding out that I could you know, ask for certain areas and do name joggers and thought joggers. And really, I, I just remember breaking into some amazing like areas in St. Louis and realizing that those people are just like everybody else. So you can pick and choose who you, who you want to do business with and you'll meet some amazing people. Yeah. Love that lesson about being strategic with referrals for sure. And interesting that you came from a background where entrepreneurship was viewed as risky, not secure, not steady. Right. And I think what we learn in Vector is that the ultimate security is our own ability to produce and succeed. Right. That that's the ultimate security. When you know that you're somebody that can create results, that you can be strategic with referrals, as you said, and you're good at selling and you're good at dealing with people and all those kinds of things, like you can create stuff where there was nothing. Like that's the ultimate insecurity. And that's what we all learn here at Cutco Vector for sure. I love how you also uh, were able to tie in your plans to study abroad to specific goals that you had in the business. And, um, you know, I see here in your your career record, you were a three-time All-American while at St. Louis University. So from those modest beginnings, you turned into a consistent, really solid sales rep during those college years. It was a great time. Yeah. 
And then you graduated your degrees in nutrition and dietetics. What made you decide uh, that selling Cutco would be a career for you? It's a really good question. I don't know when I decided it. I think I just stuck with it. But I think what I learned, you know, I, I didn't really realize the like the I want to say the luxury, but like the benefits of creating your own schedule until I was locked down in a hospital, like talking in and out and having to come at a certain time. I realized the ability to make your own schedule is is incredible. And you were just talking about the security of entrepreneurship or the possibilities. One thing about being an entrepreneur, there's really no ceiling on your income. Like no one's telling you what you can make. And then of course there's, you know, there's no floor either, but the fact that there's no ceiling, there's, I really see no limits onto what we can achieve as entrepreneurs and especially in Cutco. Another thing was I, I really wanted to get into nutrition and dietetics to like help people and help them with their health. And I have so much respect for healthcare workers, but like when I worked in a hospital, I found out that I felt like 95% of my job was like paperwork and insurance. And I just didn't feel like I was spending a lot of time with, with people. And I, I love that. I thrive on that. So I was, I'm glad I worked in a hospital for two years, but it was not the environment for me. I always loved selling Cutco. I enjoyed the people. I still do. And just all the trips and the travel, the flexibility. This sounds kind of weird, but I like love driving my car. And so I kind of like going to realtor meetings and going to people's houses or whatever. I like to drive. I like to travel. And so, yeah, I think the main thing was just the, the flexibility and just like the fact that there's no, there's just such possibility and there's no limits onto what we're building as business owners. Yeah. So the first two years after college, you were working in a hospital, but you were still selling as well. I did. So I moved to New Haven, Connecticut right after college. And I was, a, I did my internship. So I actually worked at Yale New Haven hospital. I sold super part-time for Oh shoot! I can't. Uh, so bad that I can't remember his name. Who's the region manager in the Northeast? Oh, and now it's Earl Kelly, but back then it might have been Rick Castro. So Rick Castro, I sold very part time that year. I was a full time like intern, and then I moved back to St. Louis and worked at St. Louis Children's Hospital for maybe a year and a half. So it might have been like two and a half years full time in a hospital. So there's probably I don't have my sales stuff in front of me, but there's probably a couple years where you don't see a ton of sales. But when I was at the hospital, I found out about the realtor program and selling to businesses. And I was just really interested in that. So yeah, Cutco was super part-time. And then it was kind of, I brought it back maybe like two years later. Yeah. Well, since coming back into it full-time, you've had a great career, lots of impressive results. What do you feel like are some of your most important success factors? So there's so many success factors, but one is just the vision. So currently, you know, I do realtor program, business gifts. But I think the vision, knowing that there was a certain number of clients that would produce the realtor business that I want. I remember it was like 2013, I had been doing the realtor program and business gift, mostly realtor program for like maybe six years. And I wasn't really at the level that I wanted. I had a conversation with Adam Sobieski and Sarah Mashburn, Sarah Nardi now. And they talked about the, you know, setting a goal for the number of clients, new clients in a year, and then imagining what does that reproduce? What does that produce in reorders the next year, the next year, and kind of having a little bit of a five-year plan and beyond. Mm. So when I set, okay, this is the number of clients that I need. And then that leads to, this is the events that I have to do to get in front of that group. So in terms of like success factor, I think that would just go back to vision. Like, what are you building? And are you kind of looking far out, you know, five years down the road, three years down the road, a year down the road, 
because that's going to determine what you do today to get there. The other success factor is just constantly figuring out and like knowing how our product and our program, whatever program you're doing, you know, maybe it's service calls, maybe it's virtual demos, maybe it's cookware, maybe it's realtor program, whatever it is, having a deep understanding of how the product and the program helps people. And I, you know, I find that out from my customers. It's like, they are the ones that give the gifts. So they're the ones that give me the feedback. Oh, this, I did this, this really helped me. Most of the stuff I talk to my customers about are like something I got from another customer, you know, that's going to help them. So it's the knowledge of product and how the program helps people. And it's always changing and COVID changed things, how our program helps people. So just always being flexible and always having that deep understanding of like, how is what I'm doing helping the customer? Yeah, that's a great insight. Like we start teaching reps that in in training that customers buy benefits, not features, right? And in regards to the gifting program, it's like they're not necessarily buying the gift. They're buying what the gift does for their relationship with someone, what the gift does for their organization, things like that, right? That's the there's this benefit that comes after that when you can connect to that benefit and you can help customers see that in advance, that helps with uh, building up your sales, of course, and being more happy with what you're doing uh, also as a, as a salesperson. So that was a great point, just connecting to that benefit. I love that. I love the way you said that. The, it's not the product, it's what it's going to do for their relationship. I like that. Yeah. I like that the, the vision that you also described that you know it, sometimes it's good to look at the gifting program as, with sort of a five-year vision, because it's not easy just to crush it the very first year. If you get into the, you know, CGC or realtor program, as we like to call it here at Cutco, right? It, it, it is a building process that you have to go through. Can you share just some of the learnings that you've had around business gifting and around that program that have helped you to maximize it over the years? The first thing I would say is the power of in getting in front of a group of people. And I think there are some exceptions, but I think sometimes in real estate, depending on the culture of the office, there's kind of low energy at some of these meetings. And I think sometimes as cut corrupts, we underestimate how much like energy and like fun kind of we bring to the meeting. So I think the power of getting up in front of a group and just, you know, sharing a few jokes and sharing some resources with people and doing a giveaway. I think just the benefits of the energy of, um, of speaking at an event, but also I think sometimes, and I've done it, I've struggled with, with it in this business, but like overthinking the whole program when really it's pretty simple. The more people we get in front of, the more we're going to sell. So I think what I've learned about business gifting is that I always have to have a focus. If sales is my focus, I have to have a focus on, you know, how many events am I doing? How many groups am I getting in front of? One thing it kind of references back to what you said about the relationship. I've learned that in, like, I work with a lot of kitchen and bath remodelers and cabinet manufacturers. And in those two industries, there's a lot of like mistakes that can be made in the process. And as you may realize, just as a consumer yourself, the loudest people are like, like the people online that are going to like be the loudest are the ones that are most unhappy. So one thing that these companies need is good reviews from happy, satisfied customers. So I've kind of found a way to incorporate how to get good reviews, you know, from using Cutco gifts. And it goes back to what you said, 
It helps people think of their business in a different way. Cutco is a luxury product. It's super high end. It's not something people are expecting to get. So when they, when you can give them something like that, they want to help you out. And they say, Oh, I didn't expect this from you, Dan. What can I do for you? Well, you could, you know, go online, give me a five-star review. So it helps people build their reputation. So it's been, yeah, those are kind of a couple of things that I've learned. And also just sometimes a, a order or a relationship or an event, it could take seven years of like, like you could plant the seed today and you don't harvest it for another seven years. So you know, being patient and being persistent and following up because you never know what seed you planted 10 years ago might yield fruit today. Yeah. So you veered beyond just the realtor gift selling and you've gotten into other different types of fields that can benefit from a gifting program, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How did you decide to move outside of just the sort of tried and true realtor program? And when did that path kind of open up for you? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was around 2011. There was, I think, four of us at one point working full-time in the CGC program in St. Louis. And it's not a it's not a small city, but it's not a huge city. It's like 3 million people. So, and then at, so at that point, I think it was just two of us, me and Nick Najar. And I, now I look back and this was the story I told myself wasn't true, but the story that I told myself was that I can't reach my goal of number of realtors that I'm working with if there's another rep working full time. Now, again, that's not true. I had a scarcity mindset, but it, it made me think, well, how could I build up my database if there aren't enough realtors for everybody? And so I just made like a huge list of all the different professions, attorneys, insurance agents, roofing, I mean, designers, you name it. And I talked to, I think it was, yeah, John Rowland actually said, oh, builders are great. The St. Louis Home Builders Association is great. You should join them. And so I decided to do that. And I joined and I went to events and I almost, sometimes I say, it's almost like I went back to grad school for a degree in selling cut code of builders. So I learned their lingo and I learned what their challenges were. And I networked and I met all these people. And then that, what that led me to was these people locally were also networking with people nationally. So I was able to like cultivate these relationships all over the country. So now, I mean, it kind of depends on what's going on. I do a lot of real estate you know, business, but I also do a lot of, like I said, cabinet manufacturers, kitchen and bath remodelers, and I, I say there should be like a program for every different gifting profession in Cutco. There's a lot of possibilities, but I'm really excited to grow that thing over the next few years. And, and I've taught a few other reps and I'd love to teach more of them. Yeah. Awesome. You mentioned that you, you, know, you had a scarcity mindset at one point in your career. And I know in, in asking Adam Sobieski about you, um, he, he mentioned that you've overcome a significant amount of self-doubt on your path to success. Uh, can you speak to that for a bit? That, yeah, that's a really good question. And he's, he's definitely right. I think I've gone through, I, I used to say like, I felt like there was a time, probably a few years where I would like quit every two weeks. Like if I got frustrated, I'm like, Oh, I'm not selling Cutco. I just, I think I was worried about what other people thought. And I had, maybe I'm probably still like this in some ways, but I think like, in the past, I've gotten a lot of like external validation is so important. So if someone was like, a, they made the highs high and the lows low. So if someone, you know, complimented me or, oh, you had a great week, it's like, oh, I would like really be addicted to that. But then if, you know, I didn't make a sale, I was really down. 
And then comparison maybe to others, like I do some yoga and there's one quote I like from it that comparison is a thief of joy. So I think not comparing myself to others and realizing I'm on my own path. And there's always going to be someone doing more than you, doing less than you. Another thing is just, and this, this could be something that maybe doesn't affect other people, but talking about the external validation, some, you know, if you like, so if someone's on, say you're on social media and you post something and there's like a hundred positive comments, but then there's one that's negative. The negative one is the one that sticks with you. So I think my like pressure of the expectations as a mother, like I had a hard time when I had my second child on like people's expectations. And there's one comment that still sticks with me that I wish I could go back and talk to myself then when I got this comment. But this one thing that stuck with me was there was one week and I was like a new mother of my second baby. And like, it was just chaotic. And I don't know, I had a big sales week. I don't know what I did, but like for some reason that was number one or number two in the company and someone in my region that like, I really looked up to reached out to me and said, gosh, like, do you ever spend time with your kids? And like, I, it was really, it stuck with me. And I know, I knew in my heart, like I spend plenty of time with them. I work, I do it all. It's great. But it was like, oh man. So I guess that's sometimes a self-doubt is like, you have to, I had to figure out like it's quality versus quantity. It doesn't matter what everybody thinks of me. It's like, who are the key people in my life that I like care about their opinion that I need to like be there for them or I need to give them time. And it's just, it's just a few people. So once you kind of, once I kind of realized like it's, I don't really need validation from everybody. It's just a few people. And as long as I'm not letting those people down or myself down, it shouldn't matter what like other people think or expect of me. Yeah. So yeah, that's one thing. And then I think I'm, I'm over this now, but for a while I was like, Oh, I paid all this money for my degree and like, I should be using it. And I've kind of let that go more recently, but that stuck with me for a really long time. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I think that the voices of other people in our life are voices that we should never shut out. Like, I think it's a mistake just to go, oh, I don't care what anybody says. But at the same time, you use them as a view into your own life from somebody else's perspective. So if somebody said that to me, I would think, hmm, let me ponder that a little bit and consider like, is there some validation to this? Is there something I could learn from this? Is there something maybe that I should be able that I should respond to here? And then if you come up with an, nah, I completely disagree with that feedback, then that's fine. You, you throw it out. But always having this sort of openness to like anything people say, Hey, let me consider that a little bit. Let me, let me think about it versus just dismissing it. So in other words, I don't think we should take what anybody else says as gospel, but I also don't think we should dismiss what other people say. There's a balance in there where feedback from others enables us to become more aware of our own self and be able to grow and learn through it. And a lot of times you'll just disagree and throw it out in the end, but that you're at least open to hearing this stuff and and taking it in. So it's kind of cool how that took shape for you through that comment that that uh, someone made. And that makes me that the what you just said like reflecting on it. I think you've talked about this in your past episodes but taking everything as a lesson. So maybe that was a lesson for me to like think before I said something hurtful to somebody else next time or maybe support someone that's going through maybe some self-doubt. So it's in the end it's a you know it's a gift of a lesson to be better or to like help other people. Yeah. Exactly. And your kids are now 11 and nine. Yeah. 
you're married. Your husband is Mike. And I know the freedom that you have to spend time with your family and kids while selling Cutco is something you really value here. How do you manage family and work time? How I manage family and work time? I think the first thing is accepting that there's seasons of life. And I actually thought... I just listened to your interview with Nadine uh, McGowan and I love what she said. She, I really like resonated with it. And this answers partly answers your question, but it's seasons. So she thought when she had a baby that she was, you know, going to be a stay at home mom. And I think I had that thought at some point, but you don't know how it's going to be. And like when you really have a baby. And so, you know, it's like once she had a baby, she was like, Oh, I want to work. And I, I had something similar, you know, I was staying home more when my son was born, I was working like really part-time, obviously Cutco was a good vehicle that you can, you can work part-time and make a great living and everything. But once my daughter was born, you know, two and a half years later, I was like out there grinding and doing meetings and selling. And I wanted to keep doing that. And so I think the first first way I manage it is just like recognizing like there's a season. And if it's a season where I need to be home or be on field trips or do this, like that's okay. You know, I can plan that. And if it's a season to work harder, that's okay. I think just like once, like again, it kind of goes back to like planning out like a year, three years, five years and figuring out what my goals are and working towards them and then managing my calendar based on that. How many events do I have to do? What's that going to look like with my schedule? When do I need to plan this trip or this thing? So figuring out my goals and then managing my time. I have a very involved husband and father of my kids. So he's like, he does a lot and, you know, he works hard, but he's also like really involved in, you know, picking the kids up and making dinner and cleaning the house and all these things. It's like a very, it's a good partnership. So that's, I don't know that I could have built this type of career without someone so supportive. And it's like super involved. When my second baby was born, I was working a lot more. So I hired a full-time nanny and that was absolutely incredible. And maybe some people don't go through this, but I struggled a lot when that was part of my self-doubt was I struggled a lot feeling guilty because I grew up with a stay-at-home mom. I thought like that's my childhood like blueprint was that, well, that's what I have to do. And so I remember I had a business coach recommend me to this coach that was dub the mommy coach. And I'll never forget the call that we had where she, you know, I was doing some traveling for work and I was feeling guilty and I was having a hard time, like being present in my work and then also being present with my kids. I was guilty, all this stuff. And she like helped me with reframing. And she, she taught me that I was maybe looking at it as, Oh, when I travel, I don't get to be with my kids or they don't get to be with their mom. And she helped me reframe it as your the whole process of raising kids is letting them go. You know, you have to let them go when you have the baby from pregnancy and then you have to drop them off at kindergarten and you have to drop them off at college. And so you're always preparing to let them go. And so part of like working and being away from them is like training yourself to let them go. So she helped me look at it as like a gift when somebody else gets to spend time with my kids. And maybe it sounds basic and simple and silly, but it was like a it was a big um, light bulb moment for me that like it's a gift for them to spend time with other people and get to learn from others. And I don't always have to be there every second of the day. Yeah. I love that perspective. Like that was a great light bulb for me to hear just now. Right. Cause I spent a significant amount of time away also. And I've tried to view it in that way where it's like, you know, it's good for my kids to not have me there all the time. And it's also good for me just to have time where I'm 
by myself doing some thinking and just, uh, you know, having my own recharge time from time to time as well. So, uh, I, th- I think that that's a great way of looking at it. And I, and I really like that a lot. It's pretty cool. Nice. So I know that healthy living is very, very important to you. Obviously it's a part of what you studied in college and how do you apply that now in your life? And what are some of your strongest beliefs about, about healthy living? Oh, I love that question. Well, I guess the first way to answer that is why I even chose that, like to study. And when I was in college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I worked in a hospital for an internship. And I was like, I don't think that's for me, but I knew I wanted to do something in health to help people. And my dad had a heart attack when I was in college. And then I started realizing like there was a lot of heart disease in my family. And I started researching it and realized it was a lot of it's due to like lifestyle and eating and exercise. So I studied it just to see what I could learn and then like to help my family. And so how I incorporate that in my life now is just having a healthy lifestyle. So the four things all go together and living a healthy lifestyle are focusing on sleep, stress, making that as low as you can or managing it healthy, eating healthy and exercise. So try to incorporate all those things into my life. I mostly sell Cutco full-time, but I do still practice as a dietitian. I work, I see clients through a clinic called Evora Women's Health, and it's older women who just want help with healthy eating, maybe weight management. So I'm able to kind of practice my degree doing that, but just healthy eating and exercise, sleep, and just like helping people with that. Yeah. Give me a few specific tips that you would share with others. Okay. The first tip I have is many times we eat reactively and not proactively. So think about the last time you were really, really hungry. You just want to eat the first thing you see, right? But if you're proactive about it and you plan ahead, we all know like what to eat. It's like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, low-fat dairy, exercise, but those things aren't necessarily at our fingertips. So we have to plan ahead. So that's the first thing is I would say, plan your meals ahead of time, mark out a time on the weekend or on a weeknight and figure out what you're going to eat the rest of the week. And then in order to eat that the rest of the week, what do you have to have in your house? What time do you have to get home to start preparing it? It doesn't have to be like James Beard Award chef inspired meals, but just like well-balanced meals. Other things are so specifically you asked. So 30 to 60 minutes a day. This is a recommendation for adults. Kids are 60 minutes, but adults are 30 to 60 minutes a day of moderate to intense physical activity. So getting your heart rate up 30 to 60 minutes a day is what helps you live longer, helps you have more energy, you know, helps prevent certain diseases like cancer, heart disease, helps your immune system. What else can I tell you? Get eight hours of sleep per night. If you can use the calm app. So those are kind of three of my, three of my tips. Yeah. Well, those are, those are good, good to hear. I think that the whole idea of eating proactively, that's something that everybody can think about how they might be able to apply. And, and even if it's not always perfect, it's like the more you can catch yourself in those times where you're doing something that's not a good habit and remove more of those out of your life and replace them with good habits. I think that's something that, uh, that everybody can get better at. So that's pretty oh, yeah. cool. We always focus on what we're not doing well, but, you know, celebrate what you did well that day and, you know, add something to it tomorrow to be healthier. Yeah. That's great. 
And you've completed 10 marathons. Is that right? Yes. My marathon days are probably over, but I just love Orange Theory. And that's like what I do almost exclusively. I don't know if you know about Orange Theory, but yeah, sure. I've done full marathons. Yeah. What, what does somebody learn in taking on a challenge like that? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, it's kind of like Cutco or just any business. You, it helps if you surround yourself with people going after the same goals as you. So I, I've done marathons like where I've trained solo and it was really hard to do. And then my best ones are ones where like I had my training group every Saturday. We did our long run together. We did two or three runs throughout the week. I was always texting them. So surround yourself with people going after the same goals as you get a coach. One of my best marathons was when I had a coach, Tim, and he helped me with my plan, have a goal. So my best marathon was I ran it three hours and 55 minutes. And I knew like I had, I had the, the goal of four hours and I broke it down. I think I had to do like eight thirty-two miles, so eight minute thirty-two second miles. And I had my watch. And anytime I went faster, I slowed it down. And then if I went, you know, too fast, or sorry, if I was going too fast, I slowed it down. If I went too slow, I sped it up. But yeah, have a goal, have fun. Taught me to oh, focus on my sleep. So I was like always trying to figure out what time I had to go to bed and planning meals. I already talked about that and. I guess it depends on your schedule. Some, I know I have friends that'll run late at night, but for me, it was waking up early and getting it done before the sun came up. Cause once the day of work and kids and all that started, it was like, not going to run. <laughs> right. Wow. So I'm impressed that you're able to, to do 10 marathons and at eight thirty two pace. Uh, I'm not, I'm not so sure I could do one mile in eight thirty two right now. So well, what I didn't tell you my my other my slowest one. So, you know, don't be too you can be impressed with that one, but they weren't all that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, it, it sounds like Katie, you've you've leveraged the Cutco Vector opportunity to be able to create the kind of lifestyle that you want. Being able to have time with family to do the things you want to do there, being able to, you know, have this healthy lifestyle, being able to pursue all the hobbies and interests that you have. And of course, also having the income to do all these things. So it's cool that you've been able to work to live, so to speak, as opposed to the other way around, which is what a lot of people are doing out there. They're living, you know, living to work every day. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Katie, as you look into the future, what are you most excited about? I am excited about a lot of things. I think I'm really excited about building my team. I've had a team for CGC the last few years. I think I have 17 people on my team and I've just gotten to the point where it's just really rewarding. You know, this from being a, being a manager for so long, but there's nothing like teaching someone to sell and then, or, or do anything and then they do it. And it's just, it's very fulfilling. So I've really loved that. I would love to build that in terms of quality and quantity, just have more quality team members, but also do better with the ones I have like coaching them um, I love investing and I haven't really done a ton of real estate investing, but I'm just excited about like reading more and learning more about investing and just doing more. I, I just, I think it's fun. I'm excited. I do a lot of speaking like through, you know, the realtor program and stuff like that about Cutco, but I've kind of always wanted to, you know, figure out speaking about like other things too. And so I'm going to a speaker boot camp in November with someone named Lee Brown and just learning 
about how to be a better speaker and how to influence more people. And I guess I'm just most excited about just spending time with my kids. They are like Cora and Seamus. They're just like two of the most interesting, wonderful people. And I just, I got to coach Seamus's basketball team the last few years and watching Cora just thrive in like hip hop dancing is what she's taking a class on now. And so just seeing what they're doing and helping them navigate this life and just spending more time with them and just living life with them is what I'm really excited about. Amazing. Sounds like you have so many great things going on. It's great to hear about all the success that you've had. You've obviously been a key player in the Cutco organization for so many years. I know you're a a pillar of the central region for sure. And leading your CGC team with 17 people, that's amazing as well. So great, great work on everything you've done, Katie. It's really, it's really great to hear. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you very much for being a part of the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for all you're doing. I'm so excited to see where this goes. All right. Katie Haney, everyone. I want to underscore a point she made earlier about growing up in surroundings where entrepreneurship was not necessarily viewed as a great path. And oftentimes people will encourage you to find a place where there's this sense of security or stability. And what I want to remind people of is the idea that any place where there's a floor to stand on, there are usually thick walls and a low ceiling. And what you get in entrepreneurship is a place where you can create your own floor through your own level of skill and your own level of activity. And then obviously there is no ceiling. The opportunity is unlimited in scope. And that's true here at Cutco, of course. Katie described in overcoming some of the doubts that she had about you know building her success and building her career that oftentimes comparison was one of those things that creeped in. And she offered a quote, which was, comparison is the thief of joy. I heard that one not too long ago. And I'll tell you, uh, kind of funny, I've shared that with my kids. A lot of times my kids will complain, oh, you know, he got this or she got that or something like, you know, oh, my little guy will say like, oh, you know, uh, his sister got like three scoops of ice cream and he only got, you know, two or whatever. And I said to them one time, I said, hey, you know what? I heard this quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And by the way, my kids are eight and five. I'm like, hey, what what does that mean to you? And they're looking at me like, they don't really get it yet. But at some point they will. And hopefully you get it and realize that uh, that's something to avoid in life. When I asked Katie about how and why she made Cutco a career, she said, well, I just started doing it. I just kind of stuck with it. And I think that applies to a lot of us who have been here in the company for so long. For me, it was a great first career after college, and here I still am all these years later. And there are many reasons why that's true. But one of the biggest reasons is that we can create the kind of lifestyle that we want. Uh, Katie has been able to create a lifestyle where she has time with her kids, where she can pursue all of her physical pursuits, marathoning, and anything else that she wants to do. She's got this team that she works with of her her CGC team that she leads, working on getting into investing, significant personal time, I'm sure, with her husband and family, and all that stuff that she's been able to build because of 
this opportunity. These are all things that we should not take lightly and should really be grateful for that exist here at this place, Cutco Vector, that don't necessarily exist every place else. Katie referenced Brett Berry as someone she reached out to for help in the early days of her career. Brett has had a highly successful sales career. He's been featured on this podcast in episode number 52. And his Flashback Friday shorter snippets episode is 282. Katie also mentioned listening to Nadine McGowan recently, and that was Nadine's Flashback Friday episode number 359, very recent episode. I encourage you to check those out, right? When you hear somebody reference a person who inspired them or a podcast episode that they learned a lot from, put that on your to-listen list. And, uh, and get into it as soon as you can. Download it into your phone, have it ready to go for the next time you're driving or the next time you're traveling. Listen to Brett Berry or Nadine McGowan. And I hope that you enjoyed today being able to listen to Katie Haney. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.